Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash art of man and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash art of man, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash art of man. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Well, there are some people who absolutely love running, and there are others who flee screaming from the sport. They hate how it feels, they think it's a poor form of exercise because it overly stresses the body, causes tons of injuries, and doesn't even help you lose weight. Are these objections to running true? Well, today I talk with competitive runner Jason Fitzgerald to get his answers. Jason is a USA track and field certified coach and has finished first in marathons and obstacle course races across the country. He's also the owner of Strength Running, a website that provides coaching and programs for long-distance runners who want not only to get faster, but become stronger and more durable. And today on the show, Jason and I discuss some of the myths about long-distance running that keep people away from the sport, why runners often neglect strength training, like barbell exercises, but they shouldn't, and what programming should look like when first starting out with running, as well as when you want to get more competitive. Whether you're a veteran runner, someone who's made a New Year's goal to train for a 5K or a marathon, or think you don't want anything to do with the sport, you'll find this an interesting show. It's maybe convinced me to put down my barbell now and again and go for a run. Maybe. All right, after the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash strength running, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Jason Fitzgerald, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you are a, a long distance runner, um, competitive yourself. You also coach other long distance runners. You have a site uh, called Strength Running. And what I love about uh, your approach to running, you've written content for our site uh, about strength training and running, preventing injuries during running and obstacle training for obstacle course, course racing. What I love about you is you emphasize strength training uh, in running, unlike a lot of other, I mean, sometimes I feel like runners just overlook the importance of strength. And we'll get into the details of uh, strength training and how you incorporate that into a running program. But let's do some defense here. Like I, There's some people who just don't like running, like long distance running. Uh, and I'll admit I'm one of those guys. I like to sprint. Um, I like doing obstacle course racing, but the idea of running, you know, a 10K, a marathon, just like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, what do you think are some of the reasons that people hate running or think they hate running? Good question. And, uh, you know, I'll be the first one to say that I didn't always like running either. I was the kid in middle school during track and field week uh, that was throwing the shot put and trying to do, you know, the 100 meter hurdles instead of doing the mile run. I just tried to avoid it at, you know, at every opportunity. Um, but it definitely is a 
a learned passion. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people don't like running because they don't really give it a chance. You know, just like any sport, it takes a few months to acclimate and get used to it and really become proficient enough at it where every single run is not a struggle. So imagine if you're a strength athlete, Brett, if you go into the gym, someone who's never lifted before and you try to do a clean and jerk, you probably aren't going to be very good at it. You're probably going to hurt yourself if you put too much weight on there. And it's just really not going to happen. And I think a lot of people take that same principle and try to apply it to running. They go for a couple runs and then they try to run a 5K or a 10K and they realize, wow, this is a lot harder than it seems. And I don't know if I like it. Um, the other thing that I see really, I, I see it all the time is that runners try to make running too hard. Um, they don't have a purpose to their training. They're not very strategic and most of their runs kind of end up being either hard or this kind of moderate effort where they don't have any easy runs. They don't have any recovery runs. And without that kind of balanced approach, they're destined to either get hurt or get overtrained. Uh, there's a lot of problems that come with making your running harder than it has to be. Um, and, and with all that said, I am not in the business of getting people to like running. Um, if you don't like running, that's fine. Go find something that you do enjoy that uh, gets you motivated to get out and exercise and live a healthier lifestyle. But you know, if you're not someone who enjoys running, then you know, first I'd say give it a chance. Let's do it the right way. Let's do it with a proper structure to your training. But, you know, at the end of the day, if it's not for you, then that's totally fine. Yeah, I can admit I'm one of those people that not having a program when I've run in the past, it's like, okay, I'm going to go for a jog today. And I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And I was like, okay, the next time, okay, I'll try to do a little bit faster. Or do I, should I go longer? I have no clue. And uh, the lack of direction really threw me for a loop. It sounds like me in the gym. <laughs> so I have this exact same problem when it comes to strength training because, you know, I get in the gym and I don't really like to lift very much. I would so much rather run 10 miles than go in the gym and lift for 45 minutes. So if I'm the same way. If I don't have a program, if I don't really understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'm just going to get in the gym and, you know, kind of randomly do some strength work. But it's not in a systematic way that's really going to help me develop the habit of lifting, just like it's so important to develop the habit of running over, you know, a long period of time. Uh, and so I think no matter if you're a runner or if you like to lift weights, you have to have a program and it needs to be a good program. Well, let's talk about that uh, sort of programming before we get into some of these other questions too. I mean, what does running programming, like what does programming for running look like? Say if you're a beginner, like someone's listening to this, like, yeah, I, I want to run a 5k. What would programming look like for that? Now, are we talking about just the running itself or the, the strength work in addition to that? Let's, let's talk both. I mean, let's talk about running first and then how you would incorporate um, the strength training into that. Sure. Well, I, I think it all comes down to the level of whatever runner we're talking to. So if this runner is a total beginner, uh, they haven't really gone for any kind of runs in, let's say, six months or a year, or in other words, a long time, then, you know, the first real principle of a good training plan is simply developing that consistent habit. They really just need to get into the good routine of going out, let's say, three times a week for, uh, you know, I would say 20 to 30 minutes. And then after a couple of weeks, you know, we can really start ramping that up and they get a 
get into 45 minute runs and then maybe after two or three months they can start getting into you know 60 to 90 minute runs but it has to be done in a progressive way you know we can't increase mileage too quickly uh, we can't introduce too much intensity too quickly um, and intensity is really the the speed of your runs um, and I think a lot of runners try to just go out and oh, I'm gonna run three miles and I'm gonna try to do it a little bit faster than the run before it and this isn't really a a strategic approach to getting in better shape and improving and improving upon a race time, for example. So the programming for a true beginner is really about consistency with running. And that's it. And the more advanced you are, the more advanced things you can then do. You can get into more complex workouts. You can do long runs. You can do race-specific types of long runs where, you know, let's say for the marathon, you're including some goal marathon pace at the end of a 20-mile run. Now, that's admittedly very advanced. That's a very advanced thing to do. Um, you know, a new 5K runner isn't going to do something like that. But in terms of general programming, we really want to make sure the runner is starting where they are right now, not where they want to be or not where they used to be, say, 10 years ago when they were a teenager or before they had kids and worked long hours. So knowing where you are now and having that level of self-awareness is really critical. And then from there, you just take the next logical step. You know, maybe you increase your mileage by five or 10% every two or three weeks. And you go from there. You just very gradually increase the volume. You tentatively add intensity to the program so that you can um, really work on uh, not only speed, but also kind of the race-specific endurance that you need to finish uh, a good 5K or 10K. So it sounds very similar to weight training programming. So you want to have, you want to add that stress and there's different types of stress. You can add volume or intensity. Uh, volume for weightlifting is, is the repetitions, intensity is weight. Um, so you have like a volume day where you maybe run long distance and you might have an intensity day. And then in weight training, you have like a back off day where you might allow yourself to recover. Same, exactly. same principles in running. Exactly. It's funny. Um, I think we have a mutual friend in Steve Cam, and he runs the site Nerd Fitness. And last year, I was a guest instructor at his camp. And it's funny, we had a programming class where I was with um, two strength athletes and coaches who were talking about how to program for lifting. So this was a powerlifting focus, you know, how to lift more than, you know, you can lift uh, a month ago, for example. And it was almost exactly the same. All the same principles are at play with running that are at play with strength training. You know, it's the stress adaptation cycle. You want to introduce the stress to the body, let the body recover, and then in doing so, it super compensates and allows you to get stronger, faster, with more endurance. Okay. Well, before we get into the strength training part of um, you know, training for running, let's talk about some of the myths that exist about distance running. Um, one of those that is out there is that people say distance running diminishes muscle mass. And so like, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be skinny, uh, sinewy little guy. Like I want to be strong, want to be fit. Is that true? Does distance running diminish muscle mass? Uh, it certainly can. I mean, distance running is catabolic. So in other words, it, it breaks down muscle mass. Um, but so does any endurance oriented form of exercise. So, <clears throat> you know, if you're walking the Appalachian or hiking the Appalachian trail, 
uh, that's a catabolic activity. You're probably going to lose muscle mass. The same thing is true for uh, the elliptical or swimming or cycling. Um, so, you know, any endurance sport is really working on the cardiovascular system as opposed to, you know, the, the muscular side of things. And, you know, most runners really don't even have to worry about this because um, they're just not really going to lose any muscle mass if they start if they start running. Now, it is problematic for, let's say, runners who are over 40 uh, or those running very high mileage or high-intensity running programs. These runners must include strength training in their in their programming if they want to maintain muscle mass. Um, now, of course, with that said, I think every runner should include strength training in their running program because the benefits are undeniable. Um, but, you know, those two types of runners have to include some strength training if preserving muscle mass is one of their goals. Um, and more common, it's really that running is going to prevent additional gains in mass. So for, you know, the average 30, 40 year old guy, you know, you're not going to lose muscle mass if you train for a 10K, for example. Presumably, this type of athlete is also going to continue lifting weights at the gym in addition to any running training that they're doing. They're not going to put on 20 pounds of muscle during that, you know, say three month training period, for example, but, you know, they're not going to lose muscle mass. Um, and, and I think for the runners who are trying to combine two opposing goals, like say gaining 10 pounds of muscle and training for a marathon, then, you know, we're kind of in a situation where, um, you know, your goals are at odds with each other and you're probably going to fail at both. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that I think should concern, uh, older runners and it should concern, uh, particularly older runners who are more competitive because more competitive athletes are going to tend to run higher mileage. They're going to have more intensity in their, uh, training program. So these are the runners that are most at risk for actually losing muscle mass and potentially getting injured because of that. So for those groups, it's definitely more important to include more traditional strength training, say lifting in the gym. So, you know, again, like this goes back to your whole website, strength running. Um, you're a big proponent of runners incorporating strength training into their running programming. Why do you think most runners shy away from weights, though? I mean, I, I, I know a lot of runners and a lot of them just, they don't, it doesn't interest them. They're just incorporating and putting in the miles. Um, but why do you think those runners shy away when they might stand to benefit from strength training? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the the number one reason is that runners like to run. They don't like to lift. And I'm a, such a great example of that, even though my wife jokes around and calls me a core whore because I'm always <laughs> doing some strength, you know, body weight strength work. I don't really like to go to the gym. Um, like I said, I'd rather go run 20 miles than spend an hour lifting weights in the gym. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, there's there's this misconception that runners don't lift. Well, runners who don't train properly don't lift. And if if you're programming smart training for runners, you're definitely going to include some strength training there. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, why more specifically runners don't lift, I think it's just an ignorance of of proper training. Uh, and, you know, if, if runners understood the the long list of benefits from strength training, then they're definitely going to include it in their program if they want to become a better runner. And what are the benefits of strength training for a runner? Oh, there's so many. I mean, the benefits of strength training for runners are are enormous. And, and if you're a runner and you are getting in the gym, say, 
once or twice a week to do some weightlifting. You're in including also some more runner-specific bodyweight exercises. You're going to have a faster finishing kick. So this is how fast you're able to actually finish a race. Uh, your form is going to be more economical. In other words, you're, you're going to be more efficient uh, and use less energy to maintain the same pace. Uh, your recovery from long runs and fast workouts is going to be faster. You're going to have higher testosterone and your risk of a repetitive stress injury uh, is going to be dramatically lower. So, you know, any runner who listens to that and then says, I'm not going to lift weights uh, is doing themselves a disservice. So what does a strength training program look like for running? I mean, what sorts of exercise should a runner be doing? Great, great question. And, and I think the basics work the best, you know, squats, deadlifts, those are probably the two best exercises for runners. And then of course, there's many different variations on those that you can do in the, in the weight room. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to programming strength training for runners, you know, you, I think you need to look at it in two different ways. There's, there's number one, more traditional strength training. And that's, I think, what people think of when they think of strength work. This is lifting weights, doing squats, doing deadlifts, uh, really racking up the weight and trying to lift heavy. Uh, and for distance runners, you know, there's also this weird misconception that I don't understand that runners are going to get in the gym and they're going to lift for 15 or 20 repetitions because they're lifting for endurance. They want muscular endurance. But the problem is we get enough muscular endurance from running. You know, we're, we're running all the time. We don't need extra muscular endurance from lifting. What we do need is power. What we do need is strength. And we get that from lifting heavy weights. So when you see runners in the gym, they should be doing squats and deadlifts and other strength exercises that are, um, you know, their the, the basic fundamental multi-joint compound movements, but they also should have relatively heavy weight on there depending upon, you know, the athlete's weight and, and ability and kind of absolute strength. But those are the kind of the best uh, uh, strength and power exercises for runners. Now, most runners, if they're ready to jump into a program like that, you know, twice a week, I think is, is a good baseline for how many times they should be lifting in the gym. Uh, but then in addition to that, and this is the other side of things, uh, this is really the more injury prevention uh, and uh, more postural stability side of things. And that's where we get into runner-specific strength exercises. And here there's a lot of core work. Uh, and of course, core does not mean just your abs. It's, you know, I like to say it's from your knees to your nipples. It's everything from your hip flexors to your hips, your glutes, your hamstrings, your obliques, your lower back. So it really does encapsulate the entire trunk of a runner. And that postural stability is really important for injury prevention, mainly because, you know, most injuries happen because runners get tired and when they're tired, their running form falls apart. And when your running form falls apart at the end of a race, at the end of a long run or fast workout, that's when you develop all these abnormal movement patterns and you become a lot less efficient. And that's when you start running in a certain way that really predisposes you to overuse injuries. Uh, and so in addition to kind of avoiding what I would call the three twos, which is doing too much mileage at too fast a pace too soon before you're ready for it, um, you know, trying to develop more postural stability is going to really help with injury prevention. Um, so going back to frequency, if you're lifting twice a week in the gym, then you should also be following all of your other 
uh, running sessions with, uh, you know, I would say about 15 minutes of more runner specific body weight strength exercises. And I have, you know, an easy way for runners to remember to do this is to remember that every run should be sandwiched between a dynamic warm up and a runner specific core or strength routine. And then in addition to that, you would go to the gym twice a week uh, and say, you know, lift more traditional uh, weights with more traditional exercises. So it's kind of an idea, trying to lay this out big picture. So it'd be like you'd run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then Tuesday, Thursday, you're in the gym lifting? Sure, that, that schedule works. Okay. I mean, and so is that enough? Like, is like Monday, Wednesday, Friday enough for run? Because I know some people, like, they do it every day. <laughs> well, that's a good question. And it, it really depends on your def- definition of enough. Uh, if you want to finish your local 5K in, in a month, then sure, that's enough. But you know, if you want to see what you're capable of, if you want to see what your potential might be as a runner, then you know, the general principle of run as much as you can holds true in this situation. So if you are trying to become a competitive runner, if you want to run at the college level and compete at university, uh, if you want to be an age grouper and win age group awards or you know, try to win some local races, then you know, the more you can run, the better runner you're going to be. Uh, now with that said, the more that you run, the more important strength work becomes because it's almost like it's balancing out the catabolic effects of high mileage. So yes, it can be very dangerous if you're running 100 miles a week or something crazy like that and you're not doing any strength work because you're way more predisposed to injuries. Uh, But if you're running a lot, then you have to be in the gym. You have to be doing some body weight work. Uh, For you to stay healthy, it's absolutely critical. Wedding season is coming up and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family? when I'm gone, if something happens to me. Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. 
That's meetfabric.com slash manliness, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So let's talk about another criticism levied at uh, in distance running and that it's, you know, it causes you know, the body an unhealthy amount of inflammation and stress. I mean, there's been these studies, you know, people who just keel over who look, you know, completely healthy. They look in shape, but after a marathon, they just keel over from a heart attack. Um, and then come to find out they, they just had just had so much inflammation. Um, what's the thing behind that idea? And what's your response to that claim? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about this. The thing with the issue about runners, you know, dying at a marathon, uh, that is, I I think anytime you have 30 to 40,000 people competing in a grueling event and the marathon is grueling, you know, there's no doubt about it. It's 26.2 miles. Uh, you're running on con- or concrete or asphalt. And it's, it's very jarring on the body. Uh, you know, the studies have shown that the, the deaths from marathon running are really because not because of the event itself, but because of, you know, abnormal defects in that runner's particular heart. So when they, when they get to a level where they're very stressed at mile, 23 or 25 of marathon, that's when issues start to happen with their heart. But when it comes to inflammation, um, that's, it's true. Running, running does produce inflammation. Uh, but I think it's, it's helpful to know that any hard exercise is going to produce inflammation. Um, and, and it's not necessarily bad. Uh, inflammation is actually necessary for that whole adaptation process. If you want to become a stronger strength athlete, you're, 
you're, you want some add up, you want some, uh, inflammation because if there was no inflammation, your body would not get as strong or as, as fast. Now, unhealthy amounts of inflammation uh, usually occur much more often when you're running either very high mileage or high intensity uh, or both with insufficient recovery. So, you know, and, and this isn't necessarily specific to runners. You know, if you try to play five games of ultimate Frisbee every day for a week or you participate in the CrossFit games, you're going to experience an unhealthy amount of inflammation. Uh, that's just kind of the nature of hard exercise. Uh, so, but when it comes to runners, you know, it, it kind of gets to the fact that most runners are not training appropriately. You know, you look at, you know, I, I think there's this straw man argument that, you know, is kind of popular in the CrossFit world that runners are weak. They're all on the treadmill every day, just running for 45 minutes or an hour at this kind of medium, moderate intensity. Well, that's just not how runners should be training. And you're never going to find a high school or a college cross country or track team training that way. You're never going to find a professional runner training that way. Uh, and I think if we all trained more like college level athletes or professional athletes scaled back, of course, then we'll all be healthier with normal levels of inflammation that prompt that adaptation process and help us become better. But at the same time, you know, we need to make sure that we're recovering properly if we're training really hard uh, and we're doing everything we can to uh, minimize unhealthy levels of inflammation while also recognizing that inflammation to a certain degree is our friend. It's what helps us get faster. Right. So, I mean, we t you kind of touched on injuries a little bit, but another reason people shy away from running is that uh, the injury, like they're afraid to get into the, you know, the bum knee, the, you know, the, the hamstrings, they pull a hammy. Does, is, does running have a pretty high injury rate? And if so, what, what can, what are the most common injuries to running? And I think you mentioned the exercise you can do to prevent that, but anything else that people can do to prevent those uh, types of injuries? Right. So unfortunately, the injury rate is pretty high among runners. You know, some some studies put it at roughly 70% of runners will get hurt this year and every year. Uh, and, that, and that's enormous. I mean, that's higher than professional football. And so I think there's a lot of reasons for that. So number one is probably be, probably because running is an impact sport and it does require some skill. And most people think that it's easier than that. So, you know, people who are just getting into the sport of running kind of, they just, they train in unsafe ways and it leads them to fall victim to those three twos that I mentioned before, running too much, too soon, too fast. So I think training errors is the number one reason why runners get, get hurt because, you know, they think that running is much more simple and uh, easier than it really is. Uh, the other reason is that runners, you know, we tend to be type A people, <laughs> you know, we don't listen to our body if we're sore or if something, you know, we have a little niggle or something's bothering us. Uh, we're very goal oriented. And we look at, you know, that 10K that we're training for next month, or the fact that we're chasing a Boston Marathon qualifying time. And we know that if we have, if we take three days off from training, that's going to compromise our fitness and we might not reach our goal. So we try to push through things even when we shouldn't. And, and I think this is, uh, such a big mistake that I see all the time. You know, it's funny, you know, I'm a running coach and I think a lot of people see my job as, you know, the, you know, the boot camp instructor. I'm yelling at everyone, do another lap, let's go faster. Where in fact, a big part of my job is reining runners in, telling them that it's okay to take an extra day off. It's okay to cut a workout short. It's fine. We must listen to our body and really 
calm down a little bit and not push ourselves so hard. Um, and then, of course, the other part of it, and uh, you know, this <laughs> resonates with me, is that runners tend to dislike strength training. And strength training is a perfect complement to running, and it very much is included in smart training for runners. So, you know, I think if if you combine all these things together, runners who aren't strength training, they're very goal-oriented, so they don't listen to their bodies as much, and you know, they kind of think that running is easy. So they just kind of run and I'm going to run 30 minutes and then next week I'm going to run 60 minutes. And next thing you know, they're running way too much before they're ready for it. Um, you know, that's why the injury rate is really high. Uh, so it's, it's a big, it's a big issue, but I think if runners were to structure their training a little bit more intelligently, add in some strength work and listen to their body, the injury rate would be far lower than it currently is. Does a running form have any role in that as well? The injury rate? Yeah, it does. Uh, it, running form is definitely important. Uh, I, I think what we've learned in the last, you know, maybe five or ten years of research is that it's not as important as we thought. You know, I think, you know, Born to Run, the, you know, kind of famous running book that came out in about 2009 or 2010, it got everyone to think about running form and it really pushed a lot of people to run in either very minimalist shoes or even try some barefoot running. Um, but, you know, I think what we learned from that is that, you know, the pendulum swung way to the side of minimalist shoes and and really focusing on that element of of form uh, which demonized heel striking and now we're learning that well heel striking isn't necessarily bad the the problem is if you're an aggressive heel striker who's also overstriding and overstriding is when you land a lot further ahead of the rest of your body and ideally, you would land directly underneath your body. So underneath your hips, underneath your center of mass. And if you do that, it's really hard to overstride and it's really hard to aggressively heel strike. And so if runners um, uh, reduce their overstriding and in addition to that, increase their cadence, which is the number of steps that you take per minute to, you know, I would say roughly 170 or more while they're running at an easy effort, then that's going to take care of almost every running form flaw that is common among runners. It seems like the cadence could be helped by strength training again. Like I said, it's a power uh, issue. I mean, I feel like if you had more power, you could increase that cadence a little bit faster. Am I wrong in thinking that? Uh, good question. And, and I'm not sure either way. Uh, cadence is really... Um, you know, a lot of runners struggle with increasing their cadence because, you know, they just end up running faster. And one of the best ways to kind of increase your cadence while at the same time running the same pace. So let's say you're running nine minutes per mile and you realize your cadence is 155 steps per minute. Well, you can set a treadmill for nine minute mile pace and then play with your cadence. You're not going to be able to run faster than that pace uh, unless you kind of plow straight through the treadmill. Um, and, and that's a really good way to do it. But Brad, I'm not actually sure if strength training has a direct effect on your cadence. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a great, that was kind of a mind twerp to get the mind, get my mind around. Cause like your cadence is different from your pace and that's, it's kind of hard to, you think if you increase your cadence, you actually increase your pace, but that's what most people want to do when they increase their cadence. Right. And, you know, it's interesting if you the opposite side of taking uh, more steps per minute is taking longer steps. And so there's really only two ways to run faster. You take faster steps or you take longer steps. Now, a lot of people try to take longer steps by reaching out in front of them and then they're overstriding, they're heel striking. That's not how we want to do it. 
how we want to lengthen our stride is to impart more force into the ground. And if you're doing that, then you're going to have a longer stride because your uh, swing phase is going to be longer. So your trail leg is going to swing behind your body. Uh, if you have good hip extension, then you know that's a really nice movement. And uh, you're going to cover a lot more ground with every single stride that you take. And strength training will help with that. Uh, so if you're doing heavy squats in the gym, then you're, you're much more likely to have a more powerful stride. And that's one of the reasons why heavy weightlifting is able to give you a faster finishing kick. You're able to recruit more muscle fibers so that you know when it comes to, to actually draw upon those muscle fibers, you can use them to run faster. So a lot of people take up running to lose weight, lose drops in fat, but you see plenty of runners out there who've been running for months uh, who still got the gut, right? The little, the little panza, that's how you say it in Spanish. What, what's going on there? Why is it that you can be just running just every single day, but you're not able to drop the, the fat or drop the weight? Right. I mean, I, I think you can find out of shape looking people who are involved in, in running and strength training, cycling, whatever. Uh, it's not I don't think specific to running itself. Uh, and the reason is because running is not a cure-all. You know, if you, you can be a runner and also be overweight, uh, diet is a lot more important than exercise when it comes to weight loss. Um, and, and there's also this, there's this weird trend in the running world where, you know, you have these recreational runners who, you know, they run a local 5k. So, you know, they're loading up on pasta the night before they're having, uh, you know, uh, an energy bar and a bagel before their 5K. And then afterwards, they're going to have a Gatorade, treat themselves to a cookie. Of course, maybe the race is giving away even more bagel. So they have another bagel. Next thing you know, in a 12-hour window, this person has had 800 grams of carbohydrate and they've only run 3.1 miles. So there's definitely runners who treat themselves to way more processed carbohydrates than they should. Um, and and that's, that's a big contributor to the fact that running is not necessarily going to slim you down uh, because diet is a much more prominent um, factor in weight loss. Yeah. Uh, the, the other issue I think is is just inactivity. So, you know, you might run 40 miles a week, say, but if you're spending the rest of your time sitting down, then you might still be soft. Uh, you also have to live just an active lifestyle uh, and, and not just be totally sedentary for the other 23 hours of a day when you're not running. So let's talk about diet a bit um, because that's sort of, there's been a lot of discussion about that, the best diet for uh, distance runners. You have Mark Sisson who's advocating, you know, high fat diets, like very little carbs. Then there's that idea that, no, you need to carbo load, like your body needs glycogen or glucose to like fuel these long distance runs. So what's your approach to dieting and and, uh, running training? Yeah, so really I think it's not necessarily an either or discussion. You can do both. You can uh of course eat a low carbohydrate diet if you're not running very much, but you know, carbohydrate is fuel and it is the body's preferred fuel source. Uh you're not going to find any world-class runners eating a paleo diet. Uh when you get to you know, 100-mile ultramarathon runners, you might find some at the world-class level who are experimenting with a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet. Uh, But that's because the intensity level of an ultramarathon at that level is so low. 
and you don't use as much uh, percentage of carbohydrate at that level. So, you know, it lends itself more to that kind of an approach. But for the average person, not only does it take, you know, at least six months or so to adapt to the high fat, low carbohydrate diet, but you know, it's kind of a difficult transition. You're going to be cranky. It's like giving up coffee. You know, you know, the human body uh, prefers carbohydrate. It is, you know, the glucose is the preferred fuel source for the brain. It's the preferred preferred fuel source for any um, high intensity exercise. And uh, I think it all comes down to a runner's goals. So if you're running very low mileage, if you're running um, not necessarily a, a very high intensity program, then high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet might work really well for you. Uh, now, if you're a marathoner, if you're running relatively high mileage, then carb loading is going to be very beneficial, uh, particularly for the race itself. Uh, carb loading has been shown to increase performance. Uh, there have been you know, some researchers uh, in Britain followed several, uh, I think it was 200 London marathoners from a few years ago. And they found that the runners who carb loaded the most ran the fastest and those that didn't carb load ran the slowest. And so it was this very clear trend with carbohydrate consumption and your overall finish time. Um, and I think when it comes to, you know, just you know, overall diet for, for distance runners, you know, it's, it's about fundamentals. It's about, um, you know, the basics, whole foods, less processed foods, and, you know, try to avoid refined sugars as much as you can. And really about balance, you know, you don't want to have meals that are strictly carbohydrate, because then you're going to be hungry an hour later, you want to, um, you know, try to include the major macronutrients in your program, uh, in your eating program, because that's going to leave you fuller for longer, it's, it's more healthy all around. And I think it's going to be better for not only your performance, but also for your recovery. Too. It kind of piggybacking off this idea of you know carbohydrates versus fat. Um, you know, there's a lot of advocates out there. I think Chris McDougall, Mark Sisson, they say, you know, the high fat diet is great for aerobic because cardio or running is an aerobic activity. And so they promote this. Um, we've had both on the show to talk about this. They promote the idea it's this, this heart rate running, right? Where you you try to keep your heart rate beneath 180 minus your age, I think is what it is. Um, and when you do that, it ends up like you end up running really, really slowly. Um, but the idea is that that's how you stay in aerobic phase where you're burning fat and not carbohydrates. What are, what's your take on that approach to training, that heart rate monitoring, monitor training? Yeah, so this sounds very similar to the Maffetone method. which Maffetone, that's what it is. Yeah. So you, you essentially put on a heart rate monitor and for, you know, an extended period of time, maybe it's a month, maybe it's three months, you, whenever you go running, you don't exceed that heart rate. And I have a couple issues with this approach because, uh, no major coach advises spending that much time only training the aerobic system. There's a lot of other systems, you know, there's the, the anaerobic system, there's the lactic system. And, to be a, a good runner, to be a well-rounded runner, you really need to make sure that you have every element in your training. And of course, during the many phases of training, whether you're in uh, recovery mode or uh, you're trying to peak for a race, you're in the middle of a competition phase of training or you're early in base training, you know, the focus is on different things. But that doesn't mean that you totally eliminate any of the essential aspects of training. So you're never going to not do easy runs. But at the same time, no distance runner should ever get too far away from never running 
really fast. So, you know, almost to at the peak of their top speed. Now, with that said, it doesn't need to be a really hard workout. You could just do, you know, four strides after an easy run where, you know, you get up to 95 or 98% of your maximum speed, but you get a full recovery. You know, they're not even difficult. They're just, um, you know, a, a drill almost in, in how you uh, practice turnover and, and foot speed. So, you know, I, I think it's it's interesting in theory, but in practice, you don't see any elite runners do it. And I think that's the ultimate litmus test. If elite runners are not doing what these kind of more general theorists are prescribing them to do, then it means it doesn't work. If it was working, then you would have the best runners in the world doing the most um, you know, forward-thinking training that is that is being uh, proposed. But you don't see that happen. You know, you see runners who are, you know, running 80% of their mileage at that easy effort, but then 20% of their mileage is fast. It's hard, and you kind of need that that balance to uh, reach your potential. And if you don't, then well, you're you're really just not gonna you're not gonna get as fast as you would if you followed a more intelligent training approach. All right. Well, Jason, we covered a lot. Uh, in this conversation. Um, but there's a lot more for people to learn. Uh, where can people learn more about your work and what you do? Uh, the best place is uh, strengthrunning.com. This is where, you know, just like the Art of Manliness, we have a blog, we have a podcast, a lot of different resources for runners. Uh, I try to really focus on helping runners stay healthy long term because that injury rate, like we discussed, is just so astronomically high. And, you know, if we can you know, get runners to stay healthy and and prevent those injuries, then they're going to be able to train like gangbusters and really become uh, better runners than they ever thought. So strengthrunning.com is probably the best option, but I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter for for those social media folks. Uh, what is my handle? Jason Fitz one. Unfortunately, my name was taken. So <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Well, Jason Fitzgerald, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much for having me. My guest today was Jason Fitzgerald. He is a USA track and field certified coach and the owner of Strength Running. You can find out more information about Jason's work at strengthrunning.com. Also check out the show notes at aom.is slash strengthrunning where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. Our show is edited by Creative Audio Lab here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you have any audio editing needs or audio production needs, check them out at creativeaudiolab.com. As always, we appreciate your continued support. Reviews on iTunes and Stitcher helps us out a lot. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.